This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, we're back here with another episode of Player Expectations for the 2023 season. Uh, tonight, we're going to do Charlie Kolar and Trenton Simpson. And joining me to do that is Gabe Ferguson. Gabe, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Thank you for having me on to talk about these fun uh, players who are looking into really their first you know, season, potentially getting some significant playing time. Yeah, a good point in both cases. Always love talking football with you, Gabe. Uh, great to have you on the show. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, uh, Gabe had a podcast on the on the uh, website, uh, Ravens Situation Room. Uh, you can update us on that at the end of the show, maybe in terms of what your guys' plans are for the coming year and whatnot. Um, and you're at Gabe Fergie on Twitter. Yeah, make sure yeah that's know. right. Um, yeah, I'd love to talk about you know, Baltimore Ravens, Baltimore Orioles, you know, the, the hometown teams, um, middle of Orioles season is really exciting. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where my head's at right now, but you know, we're coming back into like the, the, the NFL off season. Now we've got OTAs under the belt. So, um, it's exciting to kind of get back into the football group too. Yeah. Very exciting indeed. So let's talk about Charlie Kolar a little bit, you know, lost most of his rookie season to injury. Uh, he did return to play, uh, in the second half, return to practice is really more like it. And they had a very hard time getting him out of the roster active for a game. But they finally did uh, once against Pittsburgh. Uh, I believe that was in week 14. And then against Cincinnati in the in the finale, he got to play and, and actually played a significant offensive role in that game. Um, what do you take from this year? Um, it's, it's hard to take much. Um, he, you know, he was drafted ahead of Isaiah Likely, who was the player, obviously, who kind of took advantage of of the fact that Kolar was hurt. Um, so, you know, we we've seen this happen before, not too long ago, with with um, with Hurst. You know, Hayden Hurst getting drafted in the first round, and he got hurt at the beginning of the season, and then you know Mark Andrews came in and kind of took stole the show. Um, very similar thing happened with Isaiah Likely and Charlie Kolar. I mean, it was a later pick; they're both fourth round picks, but. Um, Kolar really never got his shot because of the injury. Um, you know, he, he was on the field significant time for one game. Um, I thought played pretty well in that one appearance. Um, he has, you know, I think, uh, interesting kind of profile as, as a, as a kind of two-way tight end. I think the Ravens will use him that way. 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's it's really hard to take too much from that first season, but, you know, I think there was some definite um, upside and, and some potential we saw with him. And I hope that you know, that's something that he'll continue to build upon as, as more playing time becomes available to him. Yeah. I, I, you know, in some ways, what I believe is supposed to happen with Voorhees this year is that he'll be on a not foot non-football injury list for the whole year. And we kind of wish that it, that had been the case with a Jabo to preserve a year of his team control last year. Um, but Kolar, hopefully he and Ajabo both took something away from at least their practice time this last season and their ability to, uh, uh, you know, to, to get uh, uh, there. Now, I guess Kolar, I, I don't remember when his injury occurred, but I don't believe he was eligible for NFI, whereas Ojabo, he injured himself while he was training or uh, on a pro day, right? So that that would have been a, uh, a, a an okay to NFI uh, situation. Um Kolar obviously came back, practiced with the team. I think that's always useful to get a to get a sense of what the offense is. Of course, now the offense is changing. Yeah, so I mean, it, it might be a good thing for him, honestly, that the offense is changing. Um, he might get more of an opportunity um, as as a pass catcher. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to know playing behind Mark Andrews how, how many looks he'll get in the passing game, but you know, it's I think there there will be some opportunities there. But I think you know the 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 biggest opportunity for him is if he can kind of demonstrate his ability as a run blocker, um, you know, kind of take over that role that Josh Oliver had last year. Um, and that's his best route to getting on, on the field because both Andrews and likely they're both almost entirely receivers. They played almost entirely out of the slot and out wide. C- completely agree with that comment, by the way. And the Ravens don't have an obvious inline tight end unless they're going to move Ricard there. Um, so you're, you're, if everybody's competing for the same flex snaps, likely Andrews and Kolar, that's not a good situation for Kolar. It's not a good situation really for anyone other than Mark Andrews, who's who's really sure about the job. But I agree completely with you. And he looked pretty good and very limited effort as a run blocker. So it could be something that that uh, if he can pick up and do it at a higher level, that, that, that would easily be the way that he would gain snaps within this offense. Yeah, I was looking at some of the, you know, the talking points during the OTAs, and I saw a tweet that said that Charlie Kolar is sporting a mustache, and also that he looks like he's a little bit bigger, uh, that his frame is kind of like filled out a little bit. You know, that off-season of training, you get the NFL weight room conditioning. Um, I think if he is able to add, you know, five, 10 pounds, really kind of become a more um, a more physical player, a stronger player, mm-hmm. he definitely was, I would say, a high effort player in college when it came to blocking but he, he was more of a receiver i think and from his college tape um and i think he's a, a very talented receiver actually um and i think if he can demonstrate you know that two-way ability and the ravens will find ways to get him on the field and then they'll want to have him out there yeah i i, I agree i think the opportunity is there for someone who is obviously a little bit more bulked up last year in the game against cincinnati play there are 28 pass snaps he was in 20 of those 23 of those he was flexed so that was who Charlie Kolar certainly was in college. And, and uh, uh, he, he had the size and athleticism to play at a higher level in college at his size and weight and athleticism than he does in the NFL. At the NFL, he's a, he's a much smaller guy now for this league. And he's also a less quick guy <laughs> for this league. But that Iowa State offense completely ran through him. Yep. Um, in, in terms of where the ball was going and whatnot, much much the way the Ravens' offense runs through Andrews. 
Yeah, and I think in that one game where he kind of filled in, um, you know, he he was I don't I don't want to say a focal point, but you know, there was there was a definite definite desire to get him involved. I think he had like six targets um, yep. in, in that game, so. Um, you know, that's pretty good for a tight end, especially one who's really seeing his first action ever. And I thought he, you know, he looked like he had short hands. He, he can, he has kind of a knack for, you know, finding that soft spot in the, in the zone. Um, he has some ability to create separation. I think um, he's, he's not like a burner, you know, he's not uber athletic um, at the tight end position, but I think he's someone who can, you know, be a, a respectable pass catcher. He's not going to be like a complete nothing at that, in that aspect. Um, and then, the, the, the blocking is there, especially, you know, run blocking. I think the Ravens always value, but pass blocking too. Um, that's a really important aspect of a tight end. If you, if you can run block and pass block, you're going to have a role in the offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with all of that. And uh, in particular, I, I want to see how run blocking is weighted for receiving players in Munkin's offense. It was obviously very valued in the Roman offense. And I think the Ravens are in big need of having another inline tight end player. I don't really think Monken wants that to be Patrick Ricard. And it's interesting because we just said the Ricard show tonight as well. Ricard and Urban is, is on a separate show. But when I think about how Todd Monken was first introduced as a coach, he said a balanced offense is one that is, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, that is challenging the defense to defend as much space as possible. Basically, if you're if you're asking them to, to make difficult choices, if you're having them manage space in, in, a, in a in a way that is difficult, that's a balanced offense. It has nothing to do with run pass play counts. Um, it's 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 forcing them to defend the whole field. That is not something that could be claimed about the Roman offense. It just it you know they first of all this last year they didn't really have the the good field stretcher that they really trusted throwing the football to. Um, and Devin DuVernay, they, they trusted him throwing the football, but he, he's not an ideal field stretcher. And, the, and past teams had Marquise Brown, who did actually take the top off. Ravens fans, by the way, as much as you might like the prospect of Beckham playing for this team or hope for recovery of Bateman, in some ways, Flowers is the Ravens' really most important receiver this year because he's the guy who can take the top off. Um, and, and if they don't, and it's Nelson Aguilar having to do that job because Flowers gets hurt or whatever, it's a big downgrade. For the Ravens. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Although I think that, and it, it all depends on kind of the health of these players, but, you know, Beckham has been that type of player. He has been a deep threat when he was in his, you know, in his best. Um, he's more of an all-around receiver, I would say. He can kind of do everything, but he, I think teams still respect him a lot as a, as a wide receiver. Um, so I, I think if he's on the field, he's going to kind of have some gravity, which, which will be important for the offense. Um, but, just, you know, in terms of how the tight ends work with that. And Monken, you know, most recently was at Georgia. Um, and they play a lot of two tight end stuff at Georgia. And they used tight ends create- creatively. They had very talented tight ends there. So I think it, we could potentially see, you know, some similar usage of, you know, two tight ends, even three tight ends on the field at the same time, if, mm-hmm. it, if it makes sense. Um, and it's, I think that's probably going to come out of Patrick Ricard's snap totals. Um, you know, this isn't a Patrick Ricard podcast you already did that one but i imagine that he's not going to be on the field for six seven hundred snaps this year i think it's probably gonna be half that uh because i think in terms of like you said what a balanced offense looks like it's hard to have him out there and really be the, the threat in the passing game that some of these other players could be so that that really makes a difference completely agree by the way we totally 
uh, ask people to listen to the Ricard and Urban podcast because basically we we went over that same ground. Is that is that he he stretches the field horizontally. He helps you stretch the field horizontally uh, with what he does. He creates a point of attack matchup for you that's that's really useful. But he's not a vertical stretcher, not in any way, shape, or form. It completely limited his receiver. So if you line him, if you put him on the field, you're effectively signaling to the defensive coordinator that you're willing to play with four eligible receivers. Uh, if you put him in line, you're playing with four eligible receivers and you're signaling that to the defense as they line up that he's probably going to be pass blocking. Or at worst, he requires single coverage from from somebody to to, to watch out for him. But he's not a guy who's going to force the safety to think about, okay, what do I do? Ricard's there. You know, it's a, that's that's more like Kolar. You know, he, the linebacker has to figure out, okay, we got this guy. I know he can catch the ball. Not only that, he can box me out. Um, how do I deal with him and the slot receiver on the other side if they decide to cross? You know, that, that's the kind of decision you want to be forcing the defender to worry about. And better even still is that linebacker just thinks about the guy in front of him, doesn't even consider the other side of the field. And potentially because a guy like Kolar is a guy who's beaten him a couple of times and he has to respect. Ricard will never be that guy. Yeah, and I think that's that's why, you know, having tight ends on the field is a little bit more, that's a little bit more dyna- dynamic capability to the offense because of that two-way ability um the ability to stretch the seam for instance you know that's that's somewhere that i think a player like kolar can really be effective he is six foot six i think you know he's got long arms he can make some acrobatic catches at least he did in college he has a nice catch radius um i I think that's something that we could see out of him especially you know if there's some play action that's being implemented in the offense that's somewhere i think he can really succeed yeah and, and play action definitely an area where where i would expect kolar to to be a bread and butter type player. In a, in a lot of ways, Andrews has got to move away from being the obvious first play action target because it's too it's too much what the defense is keying on. Uh, it's why it's important Flowers can take the top off and, and take a safety off that side. But it's also important that Beckham and Kolar and guys who are you know, potentially decent intermediate route runners uh, likely maybe fits into the same same category are guys who can catch the ball over the middle of the field. And um, I, I'm not as sanguine about where we can expect Beckham to be as a deep runner, but you've got to respect what the guy can do as a route runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he can still throw some wiggle at the top of his route and hopefully get some separation by that, even though in terms of pure speed, he's not the receiver clearly he once was. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Um, but if you do have that speed threat, whether it's, say, Flowers or even even Aguilar, I mean, Aguilar is definitely not – he's a step down. I mean, but he's mm-hmm. a good, I think, you know, fifth receiver to have on the team. You know, we have seen him make plays downfield as recently as his past season. Like, he has that capability in him. It wasn't that long ago where he was – I think he was on the Raiders. He was making multiple plays downfield. That was only a couple seasons ago. So um, th- that just ability to, like – threaten the defense um all three levels i think is going to be really important so it's this is in my opinion probably i know other people have said this but the best in terms of passing offense weapons kind of diverse skill sets that they've had um since lamar jackson's been quarterback so i, I think especially with monken coming in it's going to be a different looking offense in a lot of different ways yeah that, that's kind of honestly a pretty low bar um and I, i'm really <laughs> yeah. i'm really not happy with a with a set of veteran receivers like the ravens have got they didn't really have a choice I mean, they, they got a rookie first round pick. They spent most of their draft capital on, you know, this this wide receiver who should be a big addition. 
Um, hopefully Bateman gets back on the field and is the kind of receiver we hope him to be. But those two guys are are the players. The Ravens receiving core almost can't be good unless those two guys are both good. Yeah, um, I, I, that's true. And I think there is a lot of like hoping that the, the injuries aren't a major concern and that they can stay healthy. Um, there is a little bit more depth there than we've had in the past seasons. I think obviously Mark Andrews is still going to be a focal point of the offense. He's someone who's probably going to lead the team in targets um, and probably lead the team in, in most passing categories or re- receiving categories. So, um, but you know, the other tight ends, they'll have a role too. And if something, you know, we're having, were to happen to Andrews, you know, he has missed a couple games here and there. Um, I think they are in good position to at least have viable players that can keep the offense going in terms of like the tight end position, not being still useful in the offense. All right. So let's talk about Charlie Kolar and what constitutes a good and a great season from your perspective. So I always want, let, want the guest to go first in these cases, what, in terms of a good season, what does that look like for you? I think for him, a good season is is mostly about just getting on the field um, and being that kind of run blocking tight end because the Ravens really don't have that on the roster. And if it's not him, they might have to, you know, find somebody off a practice squad or, or find somebody out there because, I mean, I know this isn't a Greg Roman offense anymore, but I think that's still something that most teams like to have on the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, obviously Josh Oliver played that role very well last year and he, he got a big paycheck because he played well in that role. Um, I, I think that is something that most teams desire. And, and I think, you know, a rookie, a, mid, a mid-round pick that you haven't invested a ton in, but potentially has that upside, if he can come in and, and give you, you know, 300, 400 snaps, you know, pr- predominantly as, as, a, as, a, as a run blocker or maybe some as a pass blocker, we mentioned using him in the play action game a little bit, maybe get him 20, 25 targets. I think that's a good season for him in the second year. Okay, you know what? It's it's a very reasonable, and you can tell that a that a, a STEM person has made that kind of a judgment because it's very measured in terms of of expectations. I, I'll I'll just read what I said because mine is more qualitative than quantitative. So a good season to me is does enough things well between play action, receiving, blocking, and special teams that he's active most, if not every week. I actually think he might be inactive some weeks. I I, I don't see that it's obvious. You know, he's he's active over, say, a Ricard um, uh, every week. Builds a niche as a blocker and a receiver such he's on the field for some some specific packages and situations. So I'm not, I'm not going overboard by in any sense. And I, I think I think if you get on the field 30% of the time, that would be terrific. I think if you got on the field 25% of the time or, yeah, maybe 30% is still reasonable, but but is in that same kind of the target range you're talking about, that would be really good. That'd be more like Hayden Hurst 2018, I think, you know, in terms of, of uh, getting a, I think Hurst, uh, Hurst might've gotten 33 targets that year with 22 receptions with something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me, I'd love to get that out of, out of Kolar's second season here. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I think I'm thinking about like his role um, just being, as being that run blocking tight end. And that to me is like where he profiles um, that will be a split time probably with Ricard. I mean, we've seen Ricard kind of being used in that role as well. Um, but I think that um, there's a chance for both of them to be on the field and maybe on the field together at some points, but um, of I course. think there's definitely a role there. Yeah. I, one thing we mentioned a lot is 
you can't, it's just it'd be foolish to get rid of a player like Ricard, even if you wanted to have a wide open offense, because there's going to be times if the wide open offense is successful, you want to close out games. Ricard is one of the ultimate NFL closeout players. There are. I mean, Lamar Jackson obviously is too, but he really it really helps to have a Patrick Ricard lead blocking on an offense that just wants to run the ball to close it out in the fourth quarter. And Charlie Kolar, if he can become an inside guy with that, they're a great tandem to be on the field at the same time. 12 personnel or 22 personnel at that point in the game, or even if it's 21 and Andrews is not on the field to try and run the game out would be a, would be a really uh, potentially potent combination. And one you certainly want to have uh, the, the game. I always go back to when I talk about a, a team, not being able to close out games is the Houston Oilers and their amazing team. They had together that lost the 32 to three lead at Buffalo in the playoffs. I mean, it's the, the run and shoot and it, the run and shoot just could not close out games. Uh, they scored a lot of points, but they, they just had no way to easily close out games because they're so wide receiver centric. And that uh, that did not end up being a good winning combination for them. Yeah, uh, I think the, the Ravens have, you know, the versatility to do that. Um, yeah. they, they can be a run first team. And I, and some some parts of John Harbaugh, I think, want to be a run first team regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and like you said, Monken isn't going to be someone who's going to have to be like, I need to pass the ball this many times or need to run the ball this many times. I think he's going to do what, what is necessary, what is kind of just the game, the flow of the game. And I think that's why having versatile players on offense is going to allow you those to, to play an offense like that, where you don't have to necessarily be pigeonholed into one style every single week. Yeah, Adaptability on defense is in some ways easier to see. Because the, the 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 defense has to take an action to try and stop the offense a lot of time. They have to gamble. A lot of times in terms of, in particular, I think their pass rush techniques, they kind of wear it on the sleeves. It's harder with regard to an offense sometimes because you really got to go to a fairly limited set of plays. So you're dictated into what you can do on a lot of passing downs. You're dictated into what you can do when you're trailing. You're dictated into what you can do a lot of the times when you're leading. You don't really want to pass the ball as much. It's really early downs in the first half, and that's why a lot of the systems that look at um, uh, certain metrics tend to focus on like first-half offense and how good that is in terms of expected points and whatnot because expected points mean a lot less in the second half when teams are playing for expected wins and not expected points. So you make a lot of judgments that are negative expected point decisions that are positive expected win decisions, if that makes sense to people. Uh, effectively, you're burning clock to try and win the game. Yeah. Um, so I, I hope, in that sense, that Charlie Kolar gets a lot of time on the field because he's yeah, there you go. <laughs> blocking tight end. So let's 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 consider that as part of the the math arithmetic that we're going into this equation. Move on to a great season for Charlie Kolar for us. Yeah. So so the great season for a player like Kolar is is a little bit tricky because it often means that someone who is viewed as ahead of him on the depth chart is either not playing well or got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't ever want to hope that happens. Um, and to me, I think he's clearly the third tight end on this team, at least, you know, based off of the rookie season he came off of. So um, in order for, for a non injury specific kind of, or bad performance kind of route, I think he just needs to be the inline tight end and really show how dominant he is in that. And that's his path onto the field. So instead of having like, you know, maybe 300 snaps, he kind of goes into the Josh Oliver territory from last year and is more like 600 snaps. Um, And and that's kind of like where his path towards the field 
um, getting on the field is. And then, you know, he's not out there all the time necessarily, but and he's out there because he can catch the ball and play action. He can block on both run blocking and pass blocking. Um, and he kind of takes over a more prominent role than someone maybe like Isaiah Likely because he is more versatile in what he can do and what he can contribute on. So it, it's, it's going to be tricky because the Ravens do have a lot of offensive skill players that are, you know, if you look at the depth chart, are probably ahead of him. Um, but, you know, depending on how some of these games go, and, and it might be a game flow thing like you talked about as well. You know, if they're leading by two scores in in the second half and, and they want to kind of run the ball and, and play ball control and, and keep the clock going, that's maybe his opportunity to go out there and show what he's capable of in that aspect as well. You know, I like yours better than what I have written because mine, you know, obviously goes to the, to the, what can happen bad that can get Charlie Kolar on the field. And then what does he make out of the opportunity? But, but here's what I, I said for him. I said, develops a connection with Lamar, which by the way, not everybody can have a connection with Lamar, but if, if you can, then you're really Lamar's guy, at least as, as how it seemed these last few years, as either a primary or bailout receiver that leads to the second most tight end snaps on the team. And I think it could happen due to injury, certainly. It could happen just due to exactly what you mentioned, which I think is the better way to state it, that he's more effective as a run blocker than the other two. And so they lean on him more for that role, and that makes a lot of sense. And he's an effective receiver in terms of yards per target. And for him, I'm going to I'm gonna set a floor on that at – I'd want to see him at 8.0 yards per target. Andrews was at 11.04 as a rookie. And Kolar has an advantage in this respect. Because he's not the first option wide receiver, he'll often get fewer low um, uh, marginal opportunities as a receiver. So meaning he's, he's, he's not the bailout guy then he's oftentimes going to be the guy they're scheming open on play action. They get him open and he's got a chance for a 20, 25 yard game. Um, maybe some, some other big plays will happen there too, but uh, there's going to be a higher percentage of completions on those kind of snaps. So I think that I would kind of want to see a yards per target that's in that range. I think, you know, effective as a run blocker, I think goes without saying in this, but that to me would be a, a great season. Yeah. I, I think the point you made about the rapport with, with Lamar, is something that's of note um, because, you know, I thought at times last year, Isaiah Likely and Lamar Jackson were not on the same page. Um, and, and I think there was some, probably some route running issues maybe with, with Likely. Um, now Mark Andrews is on the opposite end of that spectrum. You know, he's kind of the go-to guy for Lamar Jackson and they're kind of, you know, operating on the same wavelength when, when Lamar is like scrambling around and, and looking for, for his guy, Andrews knows where to go to get open. Um, if if that can be something that Kolar develops as well, that's definitely a path towards success for him, towards being on the field more likely, more more than likely potentially. Yeah, a- Andrews himself so much needs other receivers to be a guy of Lamar and, and have more of a of a rotational receiving core that that uh, a lot of the targets are getting more spread out. Andrews is really suffering in terms of his own statistics, and Lamar is suffering throwing to Andrews for him being really the only target on the field on a lot of plays. And that's really shown up. So I think, you know, while I don't really like having all these veteran receivers, I really love having flowers. I would love having a healthy Bateman back and just having some more players in total to throw the football to who are not tight ends. Um, and, and some people who can, who can get open space. And I, I think also Monken will be important in that in terms of scheming the ball out to some other players 
um, by by having plays designed to go to somebody else other than Mark Andrews. Yeah, I think that you know that that really is something that most offenses are, that are successful have. You know, they have multiple players that can you know, get open and be someone who can take the pressure off of, of, of your quarterback. If you just have one guy, um, with the exception of maybe Kansas City, I would say mm-hmm. they, they kind of have that one focal guy of now that now it's just Travis Kelsey there. Most offenses, you need to have multiple players that, that can get open, that have kind of that, you know, rapport with the quarterback that he trusts in, in a big situation. All right. Good discussion. Let's move on. Talk about Trenton Simpson. Now a rookie, kind of a surprising draft pick that uh, they would take him when they're already a committed nickel team. Like when's the last time a committed nickel team used a really high draft pick to take another inside linebacker? Committed nickel usually means you're, you're a two inside linebacker committed to, which is what the Ravens are. They're not committed to the nickel for some other reason, uh, but, but it's, they, you know, they have Queen and, and Roquan. They draft another, and obviously Queen, there's a lot of questions about whether he'll be on the Ravens beyond 2023. But in the case of Simpson, I think if they lost either of Roquan or Queen for any reason, we'd still see the Ravens as a committed nickel team, but just with two different players. Um, I mean, I think that makes sense based off of their kind of their secondary personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, because they don't have a clear kind of dime group that mm-hmm. you necessarily trust. Um, so, and, and maybe it shakes itself out over the course of the season, depending on, on who's playing well and then who's available. Um, but I, I agree with you um, about Simpson and, and what, what his role is, is, is kind of challenging for this, this year. But I think going back to, um, you know, the draft and, and where they saw him, you know, they, they, they were like clear best player available. Um, and, and there were some, you know, notes or comments made that they had a couple guys that they liked that run off like right before Simpson was available. So, um, and then at that point he was, you know, that guy who was like kind of, you know, head and shoulders above the rest of the players that they had rated. Um, and that could also be looking towards the future a little bit because, you know, Patrick Queen is going into the, this contract year. Um, you know, they just paid Roquan Smith a, a very, significant amount of money um that's a lot of money to tie up in the in the middle or inside linebacker position um it's difficult to pay two linebackers um significant amount of money so i I think some of that thought process is you know simpson depending on how he plays he might have a role in the defense this year he might just kind of be a special teams player but in the future we have someone you can pair with roquan smith who's athletic who's fast um, who, you know, say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill as um you know experience playing in 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 a big time you know college program Mm -hmm. um i think i think all those things went into the decision making of of taking him there i think one of the kind of the underrated 
things that that went into it was the fact that you know he's coming from safety and moved to inside linebacker and he's he's plenty big to be a linebacker by the way at 235 pounds so that's that's not a problem at all for him uh has the quicks to do it too but because he came up from safety you know what i always talk about about not understanding what's going on between level two and level three he's already had the back end perspective to understand route combinations off the line of scrimmage. And I sure as hell hope he brings that with him to the linebacker position to say, I need to look left. I need to look right, you know, to see where the traffic might be coming from. So I can understand, you know, the, the, the optimal spot I can be in. I try to read the quarterback to do that. He's already had to do those things as a safety. And, and you certainly hope he's starting from a better position that Patrick Queen was in terms of understanding coverage at the NFL level. And I'm not saying there's not a lot more complexity in the NFL than there is in the SEC, but even the SEC, I should say, actually he played in the ACC, right? He played at Clemson. So, yeah. but, but anyway, the, the uh, uh, play big time college football, there still is a lot more to learn at the NFL level. Uh, but I think he's in a better position to do it. And, and when you look at what he did, really did well at Clemson, 5.6 yards per target uh, for his receiving uh, his coverage assignments. Um, that's very good. Um, what he didn't really do well is his missed tackle rate was a little bit high, 13.3% career. It was down to 11.4 in his last in his last two seasons. That's still kind of high for an inside linebacker. It's, it's maybe only a smidge high the last couple of years, but it gets harder to tackle in the NFL. And so the, you know, everybody is going to drop back a couple notches at that level. And I think the Ravens really want to cut down on missed tackles at that position. Yeah, I mean, and that's something that has been a kind of a, a bugaboo for Patrick Queen during his time in in the uh, NFL. Um, he's, he's improved there, I think, but and, you know, especially in the first couple of years, and we've seen other linebackers really struggle. Uh, um, Chris Ford recently, you know, I think he had some mm-hmm. some tackling in a couple of years back. So, um, you know, Roquan Smith is kind of the opposite. He's a fantastic tackler. You know, having him there um, is is really a, a obviously a great place to start um, from your linebacker position. But um, yeah, I would hope that Simpson definitely kind of cleans up a little bit of that. That was probably one of the biggest knocks of him, I would say, in his draft profile was was the tackling. Um, but that's, you know, I mean, it's hard to, it's really an effort thing and it's partially a kind of a coaching thing too. But I, I, I hope that's something that can be improved. Um, I think what he offers though is is some of that, like you said, versatility, playing safety, um, kind of the speed and athleticism that he has at that position, especially, you know, with two other players, you know, Patrick Queen and Rokon Smith, they're also very athletic, um, fast linebackers, you get sideline to sideline. I, th- I think Simpson fits right into that mold. Um, he's, he's a little bit bigger, um, a little bit longer than both those players. So mm-hmm. that can definitely serve him well, I think, in the passing game. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what, what a good and a great season is, but, I, I do think because of the experience he has transitioning from from the safety position, um, he played a lot of kind of like the overhang position at Clemson or like kind of like the star position where it's almost like a positionless role where he has a lot of different responsibilities. You know, there's some rushing the passer, there's some dropping into coverage. Um, but I, I think, you know, he could potentially be used in a similar way within the Ravens, depending on how they want to to, to utilize, you know, his skill set. I want to talk about that a little more depth here because I think it's probably the most interesting thing for Simpson and people projecting some sort of third down role. Could he come in and play edge? Could he do this? Could, and the star role, you know, a, a joker player is is an interesting way to put it. I do not see an easy path to that. 
I mean, it's it would you'd be like restructuring the defense to build it around Simpson. I'm just not seeing that as the way. I mean, the, the, the defense is already kind of built around Hamilton in a way to be that guy. Yeah, and I don't think true. Hamilton's role is going to change. And then you look at it, and the team is a committed nickel. And one one way on the field for Simpson is is just Patrick Queen goes back to having more coverage problems, and Simpson looks better in that role in practice. And all of a sudden, Simpson's on the field on third down. That that would be okay, you know, if the, if if he's the best player to be there. Sure, let's let's do that. Um, but I don't really see a way for him to obviously get on the field in some kind of I can put him anywhere and play positionless defense, unless the Ravens are doing willing to do something like go to only three down linemen on third down you can you can if you're going to keep a nickel on the field and they certainly have a nickel or a dime on the field on third down it's probably going to be a nickel because the ravens are committed to have that second inside linebacker so now if you're going to put a third inside linebacker on the field which by the way your your third best coverage safety is almost always a better coverage player than your second best inside linebacker and he sure as hell is better than your third best inside linebacker in terms of coverage so again i'm, I'm not seeing the logic in it in terms of, of putting a third inside linebacker on the field on passing downs. But if you did, you have to sacrifice somebody off the off the front instead of off the back end. So, you know, do you then go with two outside linebackers and maybe Matabike in the middle, kind of trying to get to the quarterback? And then you have a, you know, Simpson is a moving piece who with Queen creates some sort of cross. But I mean, it's not that it's impossible to fathom that that would happen, but the Ravens have been such a consistent four-man front team for years and years that I don't really see them getting away from that very easily. And they, they've been much more um, prone to putting a third outside linebacker on the field to give themselves a little more pass rush juice than trying to get that from off ball. Um, they do. They have done it occasionally. They have moved away off ball, Bowser off ball, um, Judon off ball to try and get them opportunities uh, to, to rush the passer. But uh, I just, I really do not see it with Simpson and in particular with Simpson as a rookie. And so I, for that reason, I kind of think his opportunity either has to come because Queen isn't playing well on third down and they just have to make a change or that someone gets hurt. And that's always a possibility. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, and what, what I was going to say when we get to it was that I, I think that is the great season for, for Simpson. If he just kind of forces him, his way on the field in that third down role in, in the nickel package. Um, if he is the linebacker that really demonstrates he he's a more proficient, you know, coverage player than queen. Um, and, you know, I, I think, Patrick Queen has improved in that since since his rookie is where it's hard to go any worse than he was when he first came into the league. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's a difficult transition for college linebackers because of the complexities of, of NFL defenses and especially NFL offenses. You know, a lot of times offenses are just looking to exploit the linebacker position. Yes. Um, it's, it's just kind of the way the NFL offenses work today. Um, so if, if you're not an elite kind of player at that position, um, it, it's kind of a, a hole. It's a weakness on most teams. And that's why, you know, dime package has proliferated as much as it has. Um, but if, if the Ravens are going to stick to nickel and, and if, um, if Simpson demonstrates his, his ability to be, you know, successful in that role, I, I think he could potentially overtake Queen there. I, I don't think the Ravens are going to kind of keep Queen out there just because of, you know, his veteran status or the fact that he's, you know, in his fourth year, um, they're, they're going to put the best player in, in the position that's going to help the defense as, as much as they can. And, and that could be Simpson. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you on that. I think that, that, there is always hesitancy with a rookie and and the rookie's got to earn it of the 
Harbaugh era, you know, has shown itself up in a lot of ways. But I think in the end, if Queen has coverage difficulties, I think Simpson probably can get his way onto the field from that. Now they'll have to see it from him in practice. Um, you want to go through your what, what would be a good year for Simpson? Let's start there. Um, so I think for Simpson, it has to start in special teams. Honestly, I think that's where he has to really show that he's someone who can contribute um, right away. I mean, you need your, was he third, fourth linebacker on the depth chart? Mm-hmm. That's If you're going to be active on game day, you have to be good on special teams. Um, he certainly has that profile to do that. You know, you know four, four, 40 guy, like he, he got the right size athleticism to, to be able to contribute in that way. Um, so I think that's kind of where it starts. And, and then maybe, you know, there are some certain, sub packages where he, he finds his way onto the field um i i don't think it's going to start off that way for the beginning of the season um i think injury would probably be the, the path and even then it's probably he's probably the the second up after harrison most likely um assu- assuming harrison's on the roster um uh i mean he's also going his fourth year so there's a potential he doesn't even make the, the team at this point but um i i would say that i, I think that it, it's it's going to be difficult unless he really kind of like makes a, a big impression in, in, in the, in the training camp in the preseason. It'd be a good opportunity to see what he's got in terms of understanding of coverage responsibilities in those preseason games this is one of the things I'll certainly be looking forward to. Yeah. to. To me, I said it a little differently, but not too, not too much differently. I think he's got to be active weekly due to his special teams role. I don't think that's going to really be too challenging, as you're kind of mentioning here. I think you keep a player like him active who can help you on defense over a player like Welch, who probably doesn't make the roster, honestly. Um, you know, Maybe a Josh Ross shows more on special teams and is a guy they can trust to be on there. Malik Harrison, obviously a very key special teams player. Maybe they you know, don't activate five inside linebackers on a weekly basis like they did some this last season. Um Maybe they don't need inside linebackers to play edge as they needed from Harrison last season, which I think is also kind of a, a key factor for him. Um, but anyway, I, 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 I want to be active weekly. No question about that from a special teams um, contributions. And I think for it to be a 60th percentile season, I think he has to get on the field defensively in some role, even if limited and even with the stack nature of the inside linebacker core. And what I'm talking about is some sort of a, package responsibility where you bring him on the field for queen. And I don't think Roquan's missing any snaps if he's healthy, by the way, Roquan yeah. is going to be the green dot. So, you know, I, I just don't, I don't see that happening. So it really means he has to come on for queen or in some package that I have not yet figured out how it would make sense for the Ravens, <laughs> but maybe McDonald will, and, you know, play a few snaps of defense per game. And I'm not talking a lot. Four to six snaps per game, uh, I think, would be enough to get your feet wet. I'd really hate to see him, like, go six, eight weeks in a row without seeing the field on defense, even though we've certainly seen Ravens players and Ravens offensive linemen in particular, who it takes them a long time to ever get on the field. Um, but I'd really not like for that to be the case with a guy that they went to such a – value stretch so okay they, they put so much in value over need with the pick i hope they find a way even in his rookie year to demonstrate that value harvest that value that's the better word yeah i, I think that is definitely something that you'd like to see from him and and maybe you know it gets back to some of the same ideas with Kolar if, if the ravens are leading you know if if they have mm-hmm 
you know, third, fourth quarter leads and they're, and they're up two, three scores. I mean, we saw that in 2019, it's possible it happens again. Um, and then you have him out there and maybe that's when Roquan Smith does come out the field because you don't want, you know, your $20 million a year linebacker to get hurt when you're up mm-hmm. 17 points. So you, you give your rookie some snaps when there's six minutes left in the fourth quarter. Um, so, th- and that might be, you know, the, his best path to getting some actual playing time is in mop-up duty. Um, and that just could be his, his rookie season for him. Yeah, I, I very possibly. And if the if the Ravens are consistently trying to get him those opportunities, the every third or fourth week where they have that possibility with a good lead in the fourth quarter, then great. Um, but I still want them to try and figure out how package wise they can fit him in. And it may just be something, you know, we have our expectations of who this guy is. Some of that's based on how much draft capital was used on signing him. Others are based on how much we liked him during the draft and whatnot. But, you know, Things show up in practice and, you know, whether it's McDonald or Harbaugh, either of them may sing, see things they don't like and just say, we can't find a way to get you on the field. And, you know, Tim Williams is a, is a prime example of, of that happening to someone. Uh, Paul Kruger is another guy who just couldn't find his way to the active list seemingly forever because he wasn't a special teams contributor and they couldn't quite fit him in their edge rotation early on. So, you know, when you have depth at a position, there's always the risk he's going to end up with a, a special teams year that does not result in in, in very many total uh, defensive snaps. I do think uh, the minimum is that certainly it needs to be active for that uh, for that special teams contribution for the draft pick to even be considered a success after after one year. Not that that's the only point that it matters to evaluate that, but for it to be after one year. Did you did you you already talked about your great season in a way? Yeah, yeah, and I think if if he is um, if it is a great season for him, it's because he has a has a specific role in the team whether that's you know i mean it, it makes sense that it would, it would kind of have to be most likely the nickel linebacker uh, and that would probably be replacing patrick queen um if there's no injury it would just be because of he's better in that in that position that, than queen has demonstrated um and and if he's on the field in that package that's a significant amount of playing time oh yeah uh, because because the nickel is probably what like 70 percent of, of what the ravens play if not if not more than that um so it's it's I mean, in, unless things get shaken up this year in terms of like how the personnel changes and, and what, you know, they're doing, um, it's it's most likely going to be a, a pretty big role. And, and maybe he splits time with Queen, uh, maybe depending on um, who they're playing and the type of, of players that are out there, um, maybe they think he, he'd be a better matchup or better suited to, to cover than, than Queen would be in certain situations. So I can see him it kind of being like, not necessarily like a constant thing, but like in the right position or the, or the right game or against the right matchup, he could have a, a role. Um, and, and that's really, I think, what we I'd like to see, especially a little bit of, just to see how he would do in that role going into, I think, uh, next season, you know, in his second and third year where he's probably going to be probably a starter, I would imagine. So I, I can't imagine Queen coming back. Um, and then someone like, unless someone like Josh Ross really kind of blossoms in, instead. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, I'd like to at least see him in that role a little bit because I think that's where his potential future is. Great, great point there. And in a way, if you don't test out the weather vein this year and see what you've got here a little bit, I, I don't know. It's just it makes me a lot less comfortable going into next year with him as a starter. If all you're really going on is, yeah, you look like a pretty good tackler on special teams, gets on the field. He's always trying. <laughs> it's, it's just it's it's in some ways it's just not enough. To me, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a great season 
slightly differently, although a lot of it's the same as what you said, is that his game immediately translates to the NFL level. He gets an opportunity of some sort, and that could come uh, by rotation. It could come by injury. It could come by his pass rush impact being so great, whether that's in practice, in the preseason, whatever, that they say, you know what, we got to try to have him on the field for a few pass rush packages, even if he's replacing Queen, if he's replacing alignment, whatever it might be. Um, or I think the best possibility, and, and certainly the best possibility from the Ravens' perspective, would be if his coverage talent is better than what Patrick Queen has. Because Patrick Queen is not terrible anymore uh, in terms of that. And if Patrick Queen could suddenly be outmatched nonetheless by a rookie who's still going to be with the team for four years, that's a very good thing for the Baltimore Ravens. You know, if, if, if he's off the field. Yes, it might mean you don't get a fourth round compensatory pick for Patrick Queen. After all, you only get a fifth round or sixth round. But that's okay if the player you're getting uh, for the next four years at inside linebacker is as good as Trent Simpson would have to be to beat out Patrick Queen at that position. And the other thing I'll say is he needs to bring one wow factor to the field. And I don't even really want to define what it needs to be, but some examples would be just a calling card. Speed to the point of attack. That's been something that Queen has had a problem with, some diagnosis issues, certainly. Um, but just in terms of, of not always knowing where the football is, um, he's got to be able to key off uh, what Roquan does, but he's also, when the play's on his side, he often has to be the first guy there. He has to make good good decisions about that, not let running backs get away in the screen game, et cetera. Um, another thing would be delayed pass rush. You know, it's something we saw from him in college a lot, had very good timing on when to come late on the blitz. It's also something Patrick Queen does very well. So he's, you know, he's in competition with a guy who's pretty good at, the, at some of the same things he's good at. I want to see coverage, obviously, and I think that's the easiest way that he could get some good rotation going at that weak side linebacker spot is to just outplay Queen as a coverage player understands better what's happening, understands the route combinations behind him, reads the quarterback better, gets back into position to make a play on the football when he's not rushing the passer, all of those things. A nose for the football, that would be another possibility. Balls on the ground. Last year, we saw Kyle Hamilton was really good at getting to the football. Um, And there's been other players, certainly in, in, in Ravens history, none greater than Ed Reed, but they've had other players like Jim Leonard. You know, who, who was, you know, a, a player of modest talents who had a tremendous nose for the football. And you can name any number of Ravens safeties who, who kind of fell into that category. And if Simpson were that guy, um, that would be pretty cool. Um, and, you know, another possibility would, if, if the other team is constantly lining up in 12 personnel, and maybe this is a place where he gets some opportunities, is he a guy that can take on the slot corner role against 12 personnel and you move Hamilton back into a deep safety? A role in that situation or a, or a different um, uh, non less structured uh, strong safety, but a joker, you can move around to wherever you want, whether he's a robber moving up to, to take away uh, um, routes or uh, erase routes, whatever it might be. Um, if, if you had the versatility to have Simpson line up against a bigger, probably flex tight end, I think that would be an additional, additional wow factor that he could add. But, you know, the nice thing about him playing defense is the defense substitutes second. So if the other team shows 12 personnel, the McDonald will have options in terms of how he addresses it. And that might be his best chance to get on the field, maybe 13 as well. Um, you know, being an option where they want to play eight heavies on that play and only three defensive backs. Well, Simpson gives you that kind of in-between player. I don't want to say like anybody's like a Dallas Thomas, 
but a guy who can who could both cover a little bit and also uh, you know be a good solid tackling presence up front. Yeah, and I actually think you know you mentioned it earlier about Kyle Hamilton and Simpson actually having a lot of similarities in, in a certain extent in terms of what um, they can kind of do in terms of you know covering like the slot for instance. I think that's something that at least Trent Simpson did do in in college. Um, they're yeah. both, I think, good um, kind of aggressive downhill players um, who diagnose quickly and react quickly. Um, I, I think they both kind of can make plays like around behind the line of scrimmage. Um, I think that's something that they both really bring to the table in the same in uh, the same way. So um, it would be interesting to see both of them on the field together, and, and maybe that's something that's more of a you know year two, year three thing. Um, but if if he turns out to be kind of someone that is just has a nose for a football and is making plays. It's hard to kind of keep him off the field. Yeah. Um, it, you know, you find ways to get players like that on the field, even if it doesn't fit into a, a, a traditional like nickel package might look like, and, and you know, maybe you, you do like, uh, maybe you have him like as kind of like a pseudo safety um, and maybe it's like him and Hamilton and, and um, Marcus Williams and then two corners. Um, and I, I don't know, it, 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 there's a lot of potential things that, that could be done. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like. Yeah, you know, in a lot of ways, what you just t- talked about is what would be a great season for Simpson because he's too good to keep off the field. So at, at midseason or maybe at the quarter pole, if we're lucky, you know, Ravens coaches are sitting around a whiteboard saying, how the hell do we get Trenton Simpson yeah. on the field with our locked out rotation here? He just doesn't have a spot. And, you know, give me your ideas, one to 10, on terms of how we get him on the field. That's a great rookie year. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. And I think to a certain extent, Kyle Hamilton kind of did that last year. Yeah. You know, he, he wasn't like your prototypical slot cornerback, but that's kind of what he played for the Ravens <laughs> last year, you know, yeah. because he was making so many plays in that role. So like, um, and, 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 you know, the Ravens don't, have chuck clark anymore um you know he he did a lot of things around the line of scrimmage so maybe that's kind of the role that you know simpson kind of latches onto and and kind of like a box type of safety position safety linebacker hybrid position um and then you have williams and hamilton play more of the deep kind of uh roles so that might kind of pigeonhole hamilton a little bit in a way that i'm not super comfortable with but also you know Marcus Williams is someone who can he can cover the back end just kind of by himself. So you can do some single high things with Hamilton and have both both uh, Simpson, um, I'm sorry, Williams as a single high, and then Hamilton and, and Simpson kind of in the box doing some different things. So there's a lot of versatility there potentially. Um, it, it would probably mean not having a third corner on the field a lot of the time. So that would be interesting to see how that plays. Uh, and, and maybe like we talked about, maybe Queen is the person who's left off and you, and you have Simpson being um, more of like a, a dime kind of player if you want to envision him as more of a defensive back than, than a linebacker. But I, I think he has, you know, the size and the speed, you know, he ran a faster 40 than, than Kyle Hamilton did by about 10th, a 10th of a second. So um, he has well, only a 10th of a second because Hamilton it was like 4.70, right? I, I think Hamilton was in the, in the high four fives um, when he ran at the, um, the combine, then ran like a four seven at his pro day. Oh, I okay. Did, I think he did worse. Um, but but Simpson, he was a four-four guy yeah. <laughs> when he ran. So that's kind of um, incredible speed from a from a player um, who's a linebacker. You know, that, that's extremely rare. So, um, in certain in a certain extent, I think the Ravens, you know, were able to find someone who's a, who's a real athlete and say, you know, he, he's coming out as a linebacker, but you know, he has potential of versatility to do some other things, and and we want to see what he can do. Um, so 
I'm excited about the potential there. I, I would lean it's more likely that he's kind of like a core special teams player who who finds a little bit of time on defense um, as opportunity arises. But if, if he kind of, you know, takes it to the next level and, and shows that he's he needs to be on the field, then that's that that would be really fun to see as well. Yeah, I, I, and I agree. I just think you're probably right in that it's unlikely they get to the whiteboard point uh, with him that they're, that they're having to figure out how to get him on the field. If his defense isn't just way above average, if he's he's not, you know, making doing so much in practice or do it does so much in the preseason. If he has a a preseason like Pernell McPhee had in 2011, where you know he's not even sure if he's going to make the team because he's a fifth round pick. And Harbaugh, after that, I think it was after the third game, said, "Well, yeah, he's made the team." <laughs> and he, he, but he made a big play pretty much every game. And you know, a player like that, they whiteboarded and they figured out, okay, we got to get him inside. Uh, we can play him outside when we need to, but he's going to move inside on passing downs. And I mean, that's that's the discussion we would love the Ravens coaches to be having about Trenton Simpson. And it will take some really special playmaking at practice and in the preseason, I think for that to occur. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's true. But I mean, if, if he if he has, I mean, he was in some point of, you know, last year, he was considered to be a potential first round pick. So, and he was probably one of the better defenders on, on a very good, I mean, not a very good Clemson team, but a team that has you know, a lot of high caliber players, big recruits mm-hmm. um, to go to Clemson. So, I, th- I think that you know there is a pedigree there for him. Um, you know he comes from that that big time program. He was a very good player for them. So I think you know the Ravens obviously you know see potential in him, and if if he you know kind of seizes onto that opportunity, I think it, it could be a potential you know year where he actually makes a mark for himself. All right, Gabe, outstanding to talk about this with you. Just so much fun as always. Uh, tell folks one more time where they can find your work. Um, you can find my work on Twitter. It's where I'm, I'm most most active um, at Gabe Fergie. Um, you know, as as we get closer to to the to the start of the season, I'll I'll definitely be kind of ratcheting up the the Ravens and the NFL discussions. Um, I'm a big fantasy football player. If you want to talk fantasy, I'm always down for that as well. Um, and you know, Orioles they're having a great season. Looking forward to seeing how this this one plays out. So um, definitely um, hit me up on on Twitter. I'm always looking to have a good conversation with the Baltimore sports fan. How exciting has that that Orioles season been? I'm just I'm I'm mesmerized every night. Um, I, I'm finally glad to see them beat up on a team like the Royals because that was what was really missing was some some big wins. But they had a couple of big ones, six to one and eleven to three this weekend that looked that looked really good. Um, the offense against right-handed pitching looks terrific. Against left-handed pitching, I know they've actually hit it. I think a little better on the year, but it does not look very good. Um, it looks like they have a, they have a lot of trouble. And, and I, I right now I'm a little worried that the that the Orioles have five right-handed starters in Camden Yards. It's just not the ideal situation at all. Yeah, um, I think that there's still an opportunity to kind of add some players. Um, no, nobody has a better farm system right now than, than mm-hmm. the Ravens. So um, if they need to add, I think they have the ability to do that. And I think um, th- that's something that it, it might be the, one of the more exciting tra- trade deadlines in, in that sense than we've had in quite some time. So if they continue up this pace, I think it's going to be hard for them not to try to improve in a, in a couple areas. Um, but it's just been fun to see different players contribute. I mean, I mean you know, 
we all knew Adley Rutschman would be great. We're, we're seeing Gunnar Henderson start to come around in a major mm-hmm. way. Um, and but you know, having like a Ryan Orn come in and, and look like um, you know, he's I don't know. I mean, he's he's someone who it's hard to take off off the field every day. He's he's just hitting. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, it's it's exciting just to, to see um, this this team and and the the excitement about around the team and and people more coming to the ballpark. Unfortunately, I live in Los Angeles, so I can't go to any of the games until September. I think they come out here, but um, it, it's it's just fun to have the Orioles good again. Yeah, all kinds of fun. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. I'm really open on topic, but there will still be opportunities this offseason, particularly before the start of camp, to get on for a show of whatever type you'd like. If you have anything specific you'd like to talk about in terms of franchise building, schematically, a statistical breakdown you want to talk about, uh, we got all kinds of shows like that that we do during the offseason. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. I'll get right back to you, and we'll talk about recording and at least framing up an idea that would be good for a, good for a show. Gabe, thanks again for coming on. Always a pleasure, Ken. Um, looking forward to you know the rest of the offseason, and hopefully we have a lot of excitement going into the, the, the 2023 season. There you go. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.